You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Thursday, everybody. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Got some good ones expected to come on tonight. Talk about all sorts of things, including a big wildcard weekend in the NFL. But we're starting in an unusual place as far as uh, hope and joy and good news goes. We're not used to settling in to the state of New York and the city of New York City when it comes to positivity, but it's a different day and it's a new year. And can you hear that, Fitz? That's the sound. <laughs> That's the sound of hope for fans of teams in New York, specifically teams that wear orange and blue. The Mets make a trade. The Knicks are winning games. Stephen A. can't contain himself. He's going wild. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Max Kellerman, that's right. I'm very excited. Max, that's right. Max, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Max Kellerman, that's right. He just right. did that right, for three Stephen straight a. hours. He did that for fire. three straight hours, Fitz. It was like a wind-up doll. They couldn't get him to stop. And we're going to make this Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless because Fitz, I think the Straight Talk around these parts is usually that I'm spending my days dogging the Knicks. Because they deserve it. They are a garbage fire filled with more trash. It hasn't yet been lit on fire, but will be soon. And they're giving people hope. I'm usually pooping on the Mets. Because it's fun to. Because somehow they manage to light their own stadiums on fire with fireworks after they try to celebrate. They're really a mess. And yet today, here we are with a massive deal going the Mets way. And their new ownership comes in. And it feels like... For the first time in a long time, they are not going to be the joke of MLB. Here's Jeff Passan. They're really good. But are they the best team in their division? I think the Atlanta Braves, after winning the last few division titles, can uh, lay claim to that. But if you add Lindor, if you add James McCann, who they have at catcher this offseason, if they bring in, say, George Springer or Trevor Bauer, they're getting Noah Syndergaard back from Tommy John surgery. They have Jacob deGrom, arguably the best pitcher in Major League Baseball at the top of their rotation. They've got Marcus Stroman. There are some depth issues there. There are some questions still with their bullpen. But the Mets have a reasonable claim to being the best team in the National League East right now. When you add a player of Francisco Lindor's caliber, he makes your team that much better. Sarah, so he, I'm gonna I'm gonna go argue here that it doesn't even matter how great he makes them. He makes them relevant. He gives them a star. He gives them the face of the franchise. He gives them hope for a fan base that turns around and says, hey, we know that our new ownership is going to spend whatever it takes to do whatever it takes to make sure that we have a shot at it. I mean, I think today, above and beyond anything for what it means on the field, actually is a shot in the arm for an entire fan base that's been waiting for a reason to do cartwheels in the street, feeling like they have hope. And that is what Lindor gives the Mets in, in massive amounts today. Yeah, it's not just the hope of acquiring a fantastic baseball player, but for a place that needs to be able to draw good attention, you've got a guy who's nicknamed Mr. Smile, right? He's coming with this energy and this personality and this vibrancy to a team that's felt like a joke. And so you bring in Steve Cohen, this new owner who promises that he is going to care and invest and spend and make this a team befitting of the market that it's in, where they will not constantly be overshadowed by the Yankees and they will not constantly be the butt of baseball's joke. 
Now, they still have to go out on the field and get wins, and they still have to go out there and prove that they're relevant. And to his point, there are other good teams that they still have to pass by before we can consider them a real contending team. But for the fans, just to have the hope of this, and and to have this guy come in that can be a face for your team, Jeff Passan, again, was talking about exactly how this deal, this Lindor to the Mets, went down. This has been a trade that has made a lot of sense in the minds of baseball people for the last few months when it became apparent that Francisco Lindor was going to be moving from the Cleveland Indians. The New York Mets were the destination. The New York Mets were the target. And the New York Mets finally got it done today, getting Carlos Carrasco, a starting pitcher as well, for Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario, two major league infielders, as well as Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green, both 2019 draft picks. This is a deal for the Mets that positions them as a team that wants to win a championship. This is Steve Cohen going and saying, I want the best players in baseball to come to New York. And I don't mean the Bronx. I mean Flushing, Queens. It's pretty remarkable that we are starting a show in 2021. I know we're pretty far off. There's a lot of things that could go badly for the Mets before they actually start playing. So I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But we're starting a year and a season with hope for them. And that's that's good news for many very sad and and and, and beleaguered Mets fans. Think no further than, you know, when you look on ESPN.com and there's an article that grades the trade for both teams. If you're a Mets fan, when's the last time you made an acquisition that every single one of the insiders gave an A? I mean, as oversimplified Mm -hmm. as that is, like sometimes when you are a team that has just been sort of either irrelevant or bad, you got to get the easy things right. This was easy for them to get right because they had the money to spend and they were able to pull off a massive trade that today has nobody in Cleveland feeling better about their baseball team, but everybody that's wearing Mets colors feeling better about theirs. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, and that's right. We are talking positively about the Mets, but now I'm really going to blow your mind. What? I'm going to say something good about the Knicks. Oh, come on. The Knicks. James Dolan's team. Yeah, that's right. Pump that up. The Knicks are giving people hope. The Knicks are excited. winning I'm games. I'm very excited. Max They're Dolan, doing this to Stephen right. A. I'm very excited. Max, that's right. Max, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Max Kellerman, that's right. I'm when is the last excited. time Max, right. you could Max, be truly excited. excited and hopeful about the New York Knicks? Well, guess what? It's new sheriff in town. His name's Tom Thibodeau, so you're going to be real good for a couple games, and then after he's going to play you every single minute of those games, you're going to break down and finish the season on the <laughs> IR. But that's that's a story for another time. Nick Friedel, who knows Tom Thibodeau very well from his time in Chicago, was on the Hoop Collective podcast talking about the Knicks. I am so fascinated as somebody who has watched Tibbs for years and years to see what happens when the Knicks, if they can land a star or two, can play in that kind of environment in MSG with Tibbs running the show. It is a match made in heaven for all those long-suffering Knicks fans to rally behind the guy who will bark and scream and growl for 48 minutes every night watching that marriage take place if he can make that team good and get a star or two at the Garden. Oh, my God, that would be fun. Oh, I love Nick bringing his jolly energy. He does to have a, a jolly laugh there like with the it Nick. too. He's, uh, oh God, bowl full of jelly. Uh, he is the Santa of the basketball world. But yeah, I mean they're five and three. They've won three in a row. It's not a team that I'm going to put any money on in the postseason yet. 
But it's been a long time since the Knicks were not the butt of the joke. And someone did ask me on Twitter, hey, at this point, can you make some promises not to not to insult them anymore? And I said, listen, I don't make promises that I know I can't keep. So I can't do that for you. But I will make fun of them less. You know what? I can't even promise that. I, enjoy what you've got right now, Knicks fans. You're five and three. I mean, let's not blow this one out of proportion. Like five and three early in an NBA season that's very, very strange. So I'm not going to go around and suddenly make any huge proclamations about the Knicks. But look, if this is even for one week, if you're a Knicks fan and you look around and you think, oh, it's not terrible this week. Enjoy the week. Like this week was a win. Five and three. You don't totally stink yet. It's good. And to your point, as much as I don't want to end this joyful segment for New York fans on a sad note, but worth noting, eight teams that played into September in the Orlando bubble and began last season with a 678 winning percentage dipped to 511 starting out this year. The eight teams not invited into the bubble started out with a 297 win average last season and are up at 411 this year. So the question is, how much is this a fatigue factor? How much of this is not having a true offseason? And when's it going to write itself out? So, again, congratulations, Knicks. Enjoy it while it lasts. This was Straight Talk (laughs) brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we'll switch gears to another town that's wishing they had more reason to celebrate the Browns and their COVID issues. It's coming up next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Getting pretty excited thinking about my weekend of wall-to-wall-to-wall football. Fitz, you and I combined to get the good people of Chicago some wings today for their football watching on Sunday. Woo! I'll send you the bill on that soon. Yes. We got three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. Endless excuses to not take down my Christmas tree or clean my house because I got to do my job, which is watch football all weekend long. It's Spade and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm pumped for my Bears, even though they're going to get the absolute snot kicked out of them, I think. I'm gonna totally. I'm gonna totally ask you though. Like I know we got other things we're gonna get to. Yeah. Number one, I love that the Christmas stuff is still up because I literally looked at the house today and said I'm not touching this until I get no, deeper. It's bringing into me joy. Season. And I have I have a couple uh, yeah. friends coming to the backyard on Saturday for our annual friends miss where we give each other our Christmas gifts. I'm like, you gotta leave the tree up for that. I love that. And then number two, which version of the playoff game are you gonna watch for the Bears? Because well, I'm watching know- the original and I'm DVRing Nickelodeon because okay. I want to see people get slimed and have googly eyes, but I don't know if I can handle it during the game. Like, uh, but again, if they get weird- smeared, I don't know if I'm gonna want to watch another version of them getting their butts whooped. Like I can only imagine the way I react to Raiders games, but then having it while I'm reacting to it, it, the kids' network with slime going everywhere. I don't know yeah. that I would feel as good about the f bombs. Okay, to now, be you- fair. To be fair, I might switch to Nick at the second half. If they're getting absolutely destroyed, it might be more fun to watch them get slimed. Like if the game is out of reach, I might be I might be down to watch SpongeBob give me some analysis. Uh, yeah, so the Bears are, are certainly a part of the weekend. Uh, probably only this weekend. <laughs> I don't think they'll be moving on, but you never know. There's uh, any given Sunday. Speaking of Sunday, the uh, game that a lot of people will have their eyes on is the Browns-Steelers game. A great matchup with two rivals, a Steelers team that was 11-0 and before they started to look like they had some pretty serious cracks, and a Browns team that hasn't been in the postseason for 18 years and is now plagued with COVID problems that will at least keep out their head coach and multiple starters. Here's Adam Schefter today with the latest. 
Another Browns player tested positive today. Ronnie Harrison, the team's safety, tested positive, was placed on COVID-19 reserve list, and he will be out for Sunday's game, which as of now is still scheduled to be played. Now, again, the word was if there were any further positive tests, then it could be called into question. There was another positive test. There was Ronnie Harrison's positive test. Right now, we are waiting to see if there are any postponements, any hangups. It doesn't seem to be the case so far. It looks like the league is continuing to do what it has done all season long, which is plow through. Plow through. And they have done that. As much as people look at different situations and think they're applying different rules, fits, it's the same as every time. Right now, it does not feel like an uncontrolled spread. I would imagine because some of these positive tests don't appear to be all connected to the same person and continuing to to test positive. But there are those and, you know, our friends who are Browns fans are among them who are pretty frustrated that this game is going on. I feel like there should be a support group at this point for every fan base that has yelled, the NFL is doing me wrong, because then maybe they would suddenly realize that there are more fan bases affected by this than anyone realizes. People seem to think that there's this massive disconnect and that the league isn't being consistent and it's doing special things for special players. But in fact, the league has been fairly consistent in the sense that if they can figure out what's going on and how controlled the outbreak is, they're going to make you play the game, whether it's to your advantage or not. And we've seen that throughout the entire season so they don't really care about whatever disadvantage covid creates what they care about is playing a game and will that game itself cause more spread or can they identify that the spread is not continually happening happening so everybody that keeps looking at some of the postponements around for example the titans or ravens at different times has to remember that the league at that point was still trying to figure out what was being spread how it was being spread and how contained it was if they know with confidence that it has been contained your favorite team is going to have to play no matter who they're missing and no matter what it means for them the league has been consistent the problem is every fan base is too busy looking in the mirror thinking that their particular favorite team is being wronged by the nfl that they don't actually apply reason 100 percent, you nailed it and that's that's unfortunately going to be tougher to take when it's your squad and it's going to be especially tough to take when it's been almost two decades since you had a shot now there's another argument fits that people are making which is that the the nfl because of the completely extraordinary nature of uh, this season and, and and how different everything is, they should change the rules and they should allow Kevin Stefanski to coach remotely. This has never been allowed before. There are, you know, very specific rules that prevent it from occurring. But a lot of a lot of people are hoping, you know, can can he do a, a Kirk Herbstreet, right? <laughs> Kirk Herbstreet calling calling the college football playoffs from home. Why, why can't they put a screen on the sidelines and, and let him coach via Zoom or something? Well, the main reason is, is I think, because uh, there's too much question about what access he might have to things unfairly if he's not, uh, you know, limited. I, I don't know if you could put him in a room with NFL security, right? <laughs> and, and make right. sure that he doesn't have, you know other angles or access to other coaches or the sideline of the other team or, you know, any number of things that would feel unfair. Uh, My guess is that that's, that's probably the reason that they won't change that rule. Well, and the league is always cautious when it comes to setting precedent. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they, if they allow it here, then where does that stop and what happens in the future and what happens if in the future a coach has the flu, for example, and has to miss a game? I mean, I'm not connotating. Let me be loud and clear. Never should have said the words flu. I'm sorry I did it already. They're not the same thing. I'm saying what happens if later in a shingles. different season. Rickets. Right, shingles, better example. Uh, you know, at, at some point. 
you have to look at it and say, what happens if that coach can't uh, can't make it? I mean, we're in a world where Ron Rivera was getting chemo treatments at halftime and still being forced to stand on the sidelines. So let's not pretend that the rule that the that the league hasn't had other opportunities to bend the rules if they needed to, and they just don't do it. So they're not going to do it now right. for the Browns. And as we've said before, it's it's hard to make, set a precedent, and that sort of inelasticity kind of is necessary to prevent people from arguing. Whoa, 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 that whoa, whoa, one, what was that word? Inelasticity. Oh, that is a man. You know the, what? The quality you, of you being inelastic. Inelastic. <laughs> I can't even say it. I'm, I mean, if they wrote that on the screen, I would just say no. That would be as, as much. Well done, Sarah. Thank Go ahead. You. I'm sorry. Uh, that inelasticity is is necessary so that people don't accuse them of giving favor to specific teams. Um, quickly. I was reminded of something today that I had completely forgotten about, and the Washington Post uh, re-upped this story today in a way that uh, it it blew my mind that I had forgotten about it. But Mike Prefer, who is going to be taking over play-calling duties for the Browns in this game, uh, was with the Vikings for eight years and was suspended there for two games after an outside investigation determined that there was credibility to former punter Chris Cluey in an essay for Deadspin, arguing that he might have lost his job because he was helping advocate for same-sex marriage and that he butted heads with Prefer at the Vikings because he said that we should round up all the gays, send them to an island, and then nuke it until it glows. This is allegedly 2014. Now, there's been six years since then, but to me, the biggest issue I saw is that in that story, it said that when he arrived with uh, the Browns, he said, a situation occurred in Minnesota where I made a comment I shouldn't have made. I apologize for that comment, and I learned from it. What I learned is that you can't say hurtful things about people, period, no matter where you are or who you're talking to. That sounds like I got caught in a situation where I thought I was free to say the things I feel about gay people. Not I've learned that people should love who they want. Not I'm no longer a bigot, but I'm not allowed to say those hateful things aloud. I can only think them in my head. Well, the best thing about this story coming back out is it reminds people of this because when you say something that awful, you should have to apologize for it every single time and you should have to prove to the world that you've changed. So I'm glad that this story finds its way back to his feet. Well, and Callie Brownson, who's been doing a great job as chief of staff for the Browns and taking over sometimes this year. Interesting dynamic there, I'm certain. Coming up, is this team the biggest threat to KC in the AFC? We'll get into it. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. And it fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget, hang out with the Spain and Fitz podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, you get some exclusive content. Uh, every once in a while, we'd like to get you extra stuff that you can't get on the radio. So make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. I thought one of the most interesting sort of stories coming into this season, Sarah, was Josh Allen with the Bills. Not necessarily because of a lack of belief in him, but because, frankly, there seemed to be this great divide. It felt like a, a lot of people, talking heads, analysts, such and such, uh, looked at Josh Allen and said he was limited. And Bills fans looked at him and said, no, he's great and we're all crazy. And at some point, the Bills acquired so many great playmakers that it felt like this was going to be a prove-it year. More pressure on Josh Allen, not necessarily just from us, but from a, on a fan base that has kept him away 
away from that pressure and given him so much benefit of the doubt to see what he could look like with those weapons. And now what we see the answer to that is, is Josh Allen has been absolutely spectacular this year. And as a result, the Bills, an incredibly well put together roster, now have a quarterback that's playing lights out. And they're the number two seed in the AFC and a legitimate threat to the Chiefs. So I think the ability for Josh Allen to rise through all of this when he has these weapons and sort of answer the the bell, answer the call, is a huge part of what we should be paying attention to at Buffalo. Yeah, the Josh Allen story is a fascinating one because you're right, it was absolutely so widespread, the opinions on him, not just from Bills fans who, of course, wanted to believe and therefore adamantly defended him, but also there were a handful of, of national people who said, listen, there's moments where he looks completely, as I like to say, like he forgot how to football. And how do you reconcile those with the other plays where he kind of blows your mind with the scrambling ability and the arm and everything else? And how do you how do you figure out which one of those is going to take more prominence moving forward? But Kevin Van Valkenburg wrote a great story for .com. In it, he sort of compiled some of the ways that people were so far out on Josh Allen. Football outsiders called him a parody of an NFL prospect and said every piece of empirical evidence we have on Allen leads to him being a failure. Troy Aikman said it would be hard to imagine him improving his accuracy that he'd never seen someone do it in 17 years of studying the game. An editor from NBC Pro Football Talk joked that Roger Staubach was more accurate at age 76. Right? Like, the the ways that people thought that he would fail and how much of a bust they expected him to be were, to me, not in keeping with what we were watching, even in those moments where he made mistakes. But even I, who have been has been a fan of Josh Allen and has been defensive of him and his talent since a couple years ago, what, did not expect what we saw this season. Just, just unbelievable. Oh, connecting on almost 70% of his passes, one of the best seasons in NFL history, top 25, franchise record for passing yards, stuff that you've seen from the best players out there, and now you see it with Josh Allen. And it's it's exciting for me, Fitz, because as much as, if you remember last, I don't I think it was last Spain and Fitz, it might have been Spain and Company, I said that I thought that the Bills were pretenders. That didn't mean they weren't a good team. I just didn't think they would advance, and they didn't. And Buffalo hated me, <laughs> even though I was right. <laughs> they will come after me. And I wanted to say, listen, I've been on your side all year. I like this team. They're just not ready. Now they are ready, and I am pumped for that fan base. When you have a, a young player that you believe can be an epic quarterback, you have an obligation within your organization to acquire weapons so that you can see that player at their best and to see what they're capable with when they of when they have the most talent surrounding them. I, I think it's great that you mentioned the completion percentages because if you even go back to his college career in Wyoming, you're talking about somebody that was a 56% completion guy at Wyoming. That's not good, and that's not good when you're playing against what's considered to be a lower level of competition, right? So then when you see him come into the NFL and in his rookie year, 52%, his second year, 59%, a little bit of a jump, but still in that range. The leap we've seen this year that comes back to, in my mind, the acquisition of Stephon Diggs. Like You start looking at what the Bills did. The Bills looked around and said, we think we got our guy. But the best way to be sure we know is not to put more pressure on him in other ways. It's to get him great 
weapons around him so that we can see what he grows into. And now we've seen this sort of meteoric leap, and I'm looking at a guy that's now comfortable with being an NFL starter. He's comfortable with the offense. He's comfortable with what it means to be a quarterback day in and day out in this league. And at the same time, now he's got these great weapons around him so he can just step back and be himself. And that version of himself is an MVP caliber quarterback. And I don't know that any of us could have seen that coming a year ago without seeing the Bills acquire great weapons around him. Well, and to your point, they get they got Stefan Diggs, who had a fantastic season, NFL high in receptions and yards. But 13 different Bills caught a touchdown pass this year, which is an NFL record. So they went out and got him a superstar. So that superstar could perform like a star, but also take enough attention to get guys like Cole Beasley to have a career high in receptions and yards as well. And that's partly why it's fun to root for this team, because you never know who's going to be scoring, and you know they're going to be doing a lot of it. Uh, and, and listen, another fascinating tie, of course, in this one is that the last time there was so much expectation around a Bills team, Frank Reich was in uniform as a backup quarterback. And now, of course, uh, he's going to attempt to end this great Bills season on the side of the Colts this weekend. A lot of good storylines uh, between you, you've got the aging gunslinger in Philip Rivers. You've got the young gunslinger in Josh Allen. You've got a great Colts defense trying to slow down a great Buffalo offense. Um, this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting one. Also, because when you look at the Colts side of it, I mean, Indy has rushed for over 200 yards in two of their last four games, right? So we know how they're winning right now. Phillip Rivers was somebody that I did not believe in at all coming into the seasons. I, I said he'd be a liability for the Colts, and at times he has been, but it hasn't been as much of a disaster as I thought it would be. But the Colts have found their rushing attack, especially with Jonathan Taylor, and reminded that they got a superstar running back uh, in, in the draft this year. And so all of a sudden, they're doing that well. Well, when you look at the Bills, they've given up over 200 yards rushing twice this year, losing both of those times, and uh, Tennessee beat them up too. So you can, in theory, run on the Bills. So this feels a little interesting to me because uh, the Colts as a roster are very well built, but I don't believe in their quarterback. But the Bills are also very well built, and I do believe in their quarterback. So that's all the difference. I can't believe I'm saying today that it's the difference of Josh Allen and how much I believe in him, but I think that is enough of a difference here because that Colts defense, for as good as they are, they're going to have their hands full. I think this is actually going to be a high-scoring game with a lot of big plays in it. I agree. I agree. And and I am kind of bummed for Bills fans that this won't be a regular playoff game with all the tailgating and packing the stands. You know, this isn't their first, you know, they've been in the playoffs, but this team feels special. And the idea of all those tables that aren't going to get broken really brings a tear to your eye. It, there should be there should be a shortage of plastic tables in the Buffalo area. I know they're going to find a way to do it outside their own homes, but it just doesn't feel right for there not to be at least 10, 15% of the fan base not even making it into the stadium because they're too just absolutely blotted drunk to make it. I mean, can you, I, I would argue that there isn't a single matchup in this weekend's games more affected by not having home field advantage than that one. Because Bill's Ooh, what about Brown Steelers? Been- well, uh, that that game's in Pittsburgh, right? So, like, yeah. Pittsburgh fans are used to going to the playoffs. Like, the, just right, the but fact I just mean that, rivalry-wise, the kind of heat that they would be bringing. 
Yeah, but I think that if you put those Bills fans in there and they know that they got a home playoff game and they're the two seed, I mean, that's a level of crazy that I just, I I would have loved to have seen, you know, for their their wildness. I I realize, like, for example, Seattle always has a great home field. New Orleans has a great home field. We know that. But the fact that the Bills never get this sort of Mm -hmm. opportunity and now they're there and the fans could be there out in the cold weather, like, it just feels like everything in a normal year really would favor the Bills in a in a different way. So it's I think it's one of the bigger ways the Bills are actually feeling the COVID impact of 2020. I'm going to put that up on a poll at Spain and Fitz. You can follow us at Ooh. Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Uh, put it on the poll. I'm going to put it on a poll. I, I want to ask you guys which game you think is more affected by a lack of a full stadium um, that Brown Steelers or Bills Colts. I think it's, it's a toss-up probably, um, but... Uh, both, both. Uh, I think the fan bases would have a lot to say. Let's say, if they were I able mean, to Sarah, back their way in. Realistically, if they agree with me, it just proves that we've got the smartest audience in the world. And if they don't agree with me, then it just proves that Tr- and Twitter's trash. Like we honestly, the okay. inelasticity of your <laughs> assessment there leads me to believe that that would be inaccurate. I still, I still can't. I can't even figure out how I would spell that word. All right, <laughs> ESPN Radio brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up is one of the game's best quarterbacks looking for a new home. God, we hope so. We'll tell you about it next. <laughs> Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM channel eighty. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. How many times do you think we can say, Houston, we have a problem when it comes to Deshaun Watson? I, I think it uh, got old a couple years ago. Well, no, I mean, it still <laughs> feels fresh. It feels fresh and, and new and all sorts of exciting. There is a massive Did problem at this point. Type that to me on your BlackBerry. <laughs> Text it to me no, on my, your, my your Razor. Nokia flip phone, you know, like it, it flips up. Send me a VHS I, of you saying... I got I got to press each button three times to get to the right letter. It's it's a fun texting process. All right. So obviously Deshaun Watson has been in the news uh, and has not been quiet uh, about the way he feels about the Texans, the organization, the culture, what needs to happen there. Well, uh, there was a, a cryptic tweet, and we referenced it on the show earlier in the week, when he said some things never change, and that was after Nick Casario was hired by the team to become their new general manager. So we wondered if it was a statement. Well, it certainly seems like it is a statement now, Sarah, because this is the latest from Adam Schefter. This is what Shefty tweeted out. By hiring former New England Patriots executive Nick Casario to solve a large set of problems, Within the organization, the Houston Texans have created additional ones with star quarterback Deshaun Watson. Watson offered his input on potential general manager candidates, but the Texans neither considered nor consulted with those endorsed by their franchise quarterback. League sources told ESPN additionally, the Texans did not inform Watson that they intended to hire Casario, and he found out about the hire on social media that contributed to Watson taking to Twitter that night to post some things never change. That's a staggering admission to me uh, to look at this and say you consulted him, you didn't talk to anybody he asked about, you hired somebody and you didn't even tell him you were doing it. That's just a level of stupid from smart people. I don't want to say we told you so, but interestingly, we were on the air when the Casario news hit. And the very first thing that I said to you, Fitz, was Casario's connection to Easterby might be a big problem. Because there was just a massive expose about Jack Easterby, a former chaplain, a guy that many thought had way too big of a role within a Texans team where he was uh, uh, taking on responsibilities and acting in sort of manipulative ways that were not 
corresponding to his actual job title and his position within the team. So then you bring in Casario, who has a long relationship with him from when they both work for the Patriots, and now you've essentially shored up and strengthened the power that Easterby has in that team. So if people were already uncomfortable with him and his role, and if Deshaun Watson had said already things about, and we heard his quote, people, too many cooks in the kitchen, essentially, too many people taking on roles that they didn't weren't assigned and having their say over personnel and other things. And this didn't seem like a great move. And then right after our show ends, probably an hour later, he tweets out, some things never change. And now we're hearing that it is very much a problem for him. I, I can't imagine. And, and there was a great conversation about this on NFL Live today. It was split about both the decision not to speak to him, but also why so many people, when Deshaun Watson signed that extension with the Texans, were both happy and sad. They were happy that this guy, who's a great player who worked hard, was re-upping for a massive amount. And and Dan Orlovsky said that he and Marcus Spears were together when that happened, and they said the same thing to each other. They said, listen, we're pumped for this kid, but man, we're worried about it being the Texans. You cannot trust this team. Not their record of late, not their success under Watson, but who's running the show and the decisions being made. And boy, did that Hopkins deal reaffirm that concern. And now this. It's interesting, too, because as part of that conversation, Keyshawn pointed out that in the NBA, when you have a superstar player, you go to them and you say, hey, how do you want this built around you? And it, it was maddening to him that that wouldn't be the approach of the Texans. I, I'm left to wonder how he would even feel now knowing that it was the approach and then they just disregarded the advice. Like, at, at what point do you try and figure out how to give your franchise quarterback the voice and value that he deserves within the organization? I mean, that's a level, that's a slap in the face to somebody that is, uh, I, I use the, the phrase I've coined, that Mahomesy, and I don't even know if it's a word, but he's <laughs> Mahomesy and good, right? Like, he is in the level of Patrick Mahomes to me. So if you put Deshaun Watson on the Chiefs team, I believe that he would be putting up Mahomes-like numbers. So, you know, in my mind, when you've got a Mahomes in your building, how do you not give him a voice? How do you not listen to him? I mean, the NFL, and I get the NBA and the NFL are very different because of roster construction and the number of players on it, but it seems so pompous to me for an organization to look around and decide that they're not going to give the voice to their quarterback that he deserves, the value to his opinion, to at least talk to those candidates. I mean, that's a level of disrespect that ruins relationships. Yeah, you and I talked about this before the show, and the first instinct is to say, Well, they don't have the power in the NFL. The lack of guaranteed money, the size of the roster, the influence of one player is not enough to overturn a franchise the way it might if you don't, say, talk to LeBron James about what you're doing. That being said, though, there's a difference between the team is is overwhelmed by the influence of one player or the power dynamic is different. There's a difference between that and saying, do we want to win? Do we want to be great? Do we want to be the best we can be? And regardless of whether Deshaun Watson doesn't have the same percentage of power that a LeBron James might, he still has an outsized influence on the success of your franchise. So if you want to be the best, and if you want to make good on this window that you have with a franchise quarterback, the toughest position to find, the the thing everyone in the league is looking for, you have it, and you're wasting it. And if you want to waste it more, by get you get rid of Bill Bryan and then you come in and you make a move right off the bat that's disappointing and frustrating to him that he's not pleased with, man, it, it makes you want to bang your head against a wall, especially if you're a team like the Bears and all you've ever needed and wanted, the entirety of your franchise since Sid Luckman is a good quarterback. And when you get one, you make him happy. 
It's like the Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay that we're always banging our head against a wall. Get him the weapons. Stop pissing him off. This guy is great. Use him. And this is a terrible turn unless it means that he's getting traded. And in that case, I'm all for it. <laughs> Let's get him out of there. Let's find him a good home like, I don't know, somewhere that he should Las already Vegas? be in. If they hadn't Las screwed Vegas. it up the first time, no, absolutely Las not. Vegas? Chicago! <laughs> right the wrong, oh, you Bears. Just... You got it wrong the first time. Now's your chance. Throw the whole kitchen sink at him. Give him what they want. Uh, look, I, that's that's cute and all, but let's remember that you know David Carr was the first overall pick for the Texans, right? Derek Carr could you, you send Derek Carr in Mm-mm. three full drafts? No. I mean, three years will of drafts. I'm not talking like three. You're pa- reaching. No. You send three years worth of draft picks to them and just say, <laughs> hey, no, we're good. We just want Deshaun. So we'll take you know we'll figure the rest of it out. We'll have Deshaun and we'll figure the rest of it out. And he goes to Vegas. Yeah, my concern is that the Bears don't have enough pieces to send their way because the ask is going to be enormous if he really does and there are just rumors right now it is absolutely just rumors right now that Deshaun Watson might be so frustrated with the situation that he actually wants out um and there's of course countless think pieces from a variety of sites about the most logical suitors and unfortunately the Patriots are among them which is so frustrating because we do not want this to be one sad year for the Patriots, and then they immediately acquire another franchise-changing I quarterback. I quit football. I quit, I quit football. Life. If that happens, I, I quit, quit football. I'm done. I'm done. I'm only going to root um, for, for random colleges that, that nobody's ever heard of. I'm just quitting football <laughs> if Deshaun Watson ends up with the Patriots. But thankfully for me, the Bears are on that list. People are talking about the Saints, but they have an almost impossible cap situation, so I don't think that's going to happen there. But yeah, there's, there's some interesting takes on where he might end up if this gets that's so desperate. And actually, surprisingly for a guy with as big of a contract as he has, it's not a crippling contract in terms of if you were to move him. Um, and so if Deshaun Watson wants out, give him what he wants. And that actually has me, I want to put this on the poll too, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. What are you willing to give up for Deshaun Watson? Not your team, you. You personally have to give something up for the duration of his tenure with your team. Is it cheese? Is it alcohol? Is it showering? What would you be willing to give up in order to have Deshaun Watson on your team? Uh, all three of those, plus I'll <laughs> add sugar. Like I'll give up. Whoa. I'll give up refined sugar. I'll only eat veg. Like I'll eat asparagus every meal, every day, all the time. If that's what it takes, like funny pee and all, I will just go full in on whatever it takes. I, I'm saying refined sugar for the <laughs> entirety of his time. And all. <laughs> You're welcome. That's the sort of content you can only get here. Uh, We'll get Sarah's answer on what she would give up to bring him to the Bears, uh, and you guys can chime in also. Coming up, a former Cleveland Brown explains what this postseason run means to that community. You'll hear it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance and all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Speaking of which, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Browns are playing in a playoff game this weekend against the Steelers. Obviously, everybody's stoked. So, to get some sense of that and everything else going on across the landscape of the NFL, let's head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Sean O'Hara, NFL Network analyst. Sean, thank you so much for the time. Happy New Year, my friend. We appreciate you. Give us a sense of what the Browns making the playoffs means to a community that you're so familiar with having played for the team. 
Yeah, well, listen, I mean, it's huge. It's been a long 18 years, and I know for all the Browns backers out there, um, you know, that, that traveled around, obviously not this year so much, but uh, every single week on away games, the Browns fans show up. Um, I remember being a player, and it didn't matter what city we were in um, across the country or, you know, down in Pittsburgh, they showed up. They were at the team hotel. They were ready to rock and roll. So, um, you know, it's a great fan base. I thoroughly enjoyed my time as a Cleveland Brown, um, and I reflect fondly on the our last home game in 2002. We played the Atlanta Falcons. We beat them at home, and that solidified our spot in the playoffs. And I remember the fans didn't want to leave. They, I mean, they, they hung around the stadium, and I remember walking around, you know, the stadium high-fiving the fans and just kind of mm-hmm. celebrating with the dog pound and the fact that, that we made the playoffs in 02, and that was a special time. Uh, we didn't finish the game. I ended up losing to the Steelers uh, in, in an ugly fashion that, down at the end of the game after blowing a huge lead early on. So that was a bittersweet ending to that season. But, you know, being a Cleveland Brown, you, you really you, you appreciate and you feel the love from the Browns fans. They, they really love their team. They love their sports. Um, and I know, you know, they're looking forward to the fact that not only are they in the playoffs, but they get a chance to play – if you're a Cleveland Brown fan, you hate the Steelers. So this is this could be uh, you know an, an added bonus if they have a chance to knock off the Steelers. Um, and you know I think most Browns fans would say too, they can't believe that they waited 18 years for the, the Browns to get in the playoffs, and their coach and their starting left guard can't even play in the game because of COVID. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's 2020 in a nutshell right there. Yeah, Sean, I was going to say you, you had a decade in the league, and I'm sure you still have a ton of context players. Uh, coaches, the regular season's done now. We're approaching a postseason. Hopefully, won't be too interrupted by COVID beyond what we're seeing right now with the Browns. How strange must it have been for these players and coaches to disrupt a rhythm that they had spent their entire life getting accustomed to in terms of how you practice, when you get ready, when your body's ready. You know, expectations for every week. Uh, have you heard from people throughout the year about that? Yeah, it's it's been a challenge, and you know, I thought. It was pretty ironic when Kyle Shanahan, after they lost their final game, and they said, you know, hey, you know, I know you're bummed about not going to making the playoffs, but are you happy to, to, to that the season's over with? And he said, I'm ecstatic. And when do you ever hear a coach say they're happy the season's over with? Of course, the 49ers had a little bit of a different scenario because they couldn't even practice in California up in in the Bay Area because of the mandate. So away from their families for a month practicing down in Arizona. So certainly a little, little bit, a bit of a different scenario for them. But just, you know, from the outset, training camp, doing everything virtually, um, you know, players not being allowed in the building on Mondays and Tuesdays after a game, uh, it was certainly an uphill climb. And, and now, of course, for the Browns players and coaches to have to deal with this knocking out some players and coaches in playoff time, I mean, that's, you know, that's crucial. This is the last time that you want something like that to happen. Uh, you know, you, you want all hands on deck, but, uh, you know, a lot of teams have gone through it. The Steelers are certainly no stranger to it. They dealt with it, you know, all season long, and it wasn't really their issue. It was the Titans, you know, they were, that was kind of like the first game that kind of got flexed back and pushed back, and they lost their bye week. Um, and then the Baltimore game, that got pushed back, you know, a, a couple of times. And so they've had to deal with it as well. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that they're not putting any pity whatsoever. And, 
not feeling bad for the Browns uh, whatsoever. We're talking to Sean O'Hara, NFL Network analyst. You can check him out, NFL Game Day mornings that air Saturday and Sunday, a.m., 9 a.m. Eastern on the NFL Network. You just mentioned the Titans and the Ravens. Well, those are two teams facing off this weekend and what I think is looks like one of the more interesting matchups. What do you see as the key in that one? Well, I, I tell you, for Baltimore, it's probably got to feel like deja vu. I mean, they, they drew this same card uh, last year, and it was the Derrick Henry show. And right out of the gate, I mean, he was running through that defense. So, you know, first and foremost, for Wink Martindale, the, their defensive coordinator, you know, they've got to find a way to stop the run. Um, and, you know, I think this Baltimore Ravens defense has been playing really well. Certainly the addition of Calais Campbell has helped. Yannick Ngakwe has made some big plays for them. Um, you know, Matt Judon has, has been phenomenal, and Patrick Queen, their their rookie linebacker, has been a stud. So, you know, it feels like a different defense uh, than what we saw last year. But th- that's going to be first and foremost. Can can they try to, you know, limit Derrick Henry and certainly put the hands put the ball in the hands of Ryan Tannehill? Um, you know, I think a great matchup on the outside is going to be, uh, you know, the 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 Ravens secondary against you know, AJ Brown and Corey Davis. Uh, you know, A.J. Brown has been a handful. And, you know, when their running game is going really well and, and they get the play-action game going, Ryan Tannehill has been on fire. So that'll be uh, that'll be something to watch. I think Lamar Jackson, you know, really, after he came back from his COVID test and his time off, I really thought he, he threw the ball a lot better. I thought he did a, a much better job in the passing game. And, you know, you go back and look at that playoff game from last year, I mean, he – tried to get them back into that game. I mean, he he was running the ball. He was throwing it all over the yard. And, uh, you know, he had an unbelievable performance individually. But uh, I think they're gonna, the Titans' defense has really struggled this year. You know, certainly Dory Jackson has been banged up all year. We saw them struggle against Green Bay. Um, so that, that's going to be an interesting test for them defensively to, to try to keep up with Baltimore. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to NFL Network analyst Sean O'Hara, 10-year vet, three-time Pro Bowler, uh, I'm curious because I know it. the internet says you were born in, in Illinois, uh, but you didn't grow up there. Is there any family ties to the Bears? And if so, can you use that homerism to come up with any scenario in which the Bears actually beat the Saints? <laughs> yeah, so I was born in Chicago. I was born in uh, in Homewood, Illinois. My dad went to Homewood Flossmore High School. so he, he uh, My was field hockey rival. Um, <laughs> Oh, there you go. So, so you know it well. Um, you know, so I, listen, I have roots in Chicago. My grandparents lived in Chicago. My aunt Scarlett, uh, yes, her name was Scarlett O'Hara before she got married. Yes, um, I love it. She, they, they still live in, in Chicago in the area. Um, so, yeah, I can remember holidays, you know, going there for Christmas. We'd watch Notre Dame football on Saturday, and we watched the Bears. And growing up, the Bears were my team. I had a poster of Iron Mike Ditka on one wall in my room. <laughs> and another poster of the 85 Bears defense in the locker room. Nice. And I tell you, that was a star-studded cast. Um, Walter Payton was my favorite player, he and Mike Singletary. Um, when I started playing football, I chose the number 34 in honor of Walter Payton. Um, and then, they, then I realized I was a lineman, and so they, I had to change my number. But <laughs> nonetheless, um, yeah, I was, I was a big-time Bears fan. And I think, you know, when you look at, at their offense – you know, I know everybody, we always start first with the quarterback and end with the quarterback, and then we blame the coach and Nagy and the play calling. Look, none of that matters if you can't block anybody. 
And I thought the Bears offensive line really struggled. Last year they had their struggles. This year early on they kind of struggled. They had some guys in and out of the lineup. And over the last month they've really solidified, really done a lot better job up front. And Devin Montgomery has played much better. And I think that that has been such a a relief offensively for this play-action passing game and for what Matt Nagy wants to do with Mitch Trubisky. They want to get him on the perimeter. So – you know, when Montgomery is running the football well and he's been on fire, I think over his last four games, I think they were averaging 160 yards rushing on the ground and you know, 22, 23 carries. So that that has really opened up this offense. And Mitch has been at his best when he's been moving the pocket, rolling out on nakeds, making some throws on the run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously that it's going to be a challenge against this Saints defense. Um, Cam Jordan is a handful, and and they're going to have to find a way to to protect. Mitch in the pocket and and get some help on him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't look at it like, boy, you want to ask Mitch Trubisky to try to keep up with the Saints offense. Um, You know, obviously, even with or without Alvin Kamara, they've been able to score points. With or without Drew Brees, they've been able to score points. So, Sean Payton and Pete Carmichael Jr., who is the assistant offensive coordinator, I don't know what his official title is anymore, but he doesn't get enough credit for how – tough of an offense they are to defend because they can hit you from so many different angles and the Taysom Hill project adds a whole nother wrinkle that you you spend time trying to figure out how we're going to defend all these special plays from Taysom Hill and it takes away from just the elementary plays. so uh, that's going to be a, a tough matchup and I tell you one of my favorite matchups this weekend to watch is going to be that Bears front against mm-hmm. what I think is one of the best O-lines in the NFL with the Saints. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Sean O'Hara 60. Remember, you can check out NFL Game Day morning, Saturday, Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern on the NFL Network. Sean, we appreciate you coming on with us. Happy New Year, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Happy New Year. Enjoy this super weekend of playoff football. Yeah, wall to wall, wall to wall, wild cards. Yeah. <laughs> wall to wall, baby. <laughs> Did you start a little John on me? Yeah. <laughs> From the window <laughs> to the wall. Can't say the rest on Disney. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> oh, good Lord, man. Oh, Sean, thanks, man. We appreciate you, brother. All right. Appreciate it. Wow, we got off the rails. Uh, speaking of off the rails, quickies coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Woo! Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance. In fact, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. I do want to tell everybody, get out there, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on Twitter. Chime in on what you would give up, uh, not not for your team, but you personally would give up uh, in order to get Deshaun Watson. Uh, that's a, it's a, we're getting some alarming responses there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> we'll read some of them later, but there's body, a lot of body parts Both are already involved in this thing. is all I need yeah. to say. Both berries. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. Speaking of inappropriate, let's do what only we can do. Get caught up on a bunch of different stories the right way. Let's get you some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Nothing subtle about what we do. Quickies right there. All right. And let's start with a note about UTC, University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. On Thursday, fired assistant coach Chris Malone 
after a racist tweet in which he mocked Georgia politician and voting rights activist Stacey Abrams. I hate to give his name any credit, the the assistant coach that is, and this is what he tweeted. Congratulations to the state GA and Fat Albert at Stacey Abrams because you have truly shown America the true works of cheating in an election again. He also said, enjoy the buffet, big girl. You earned it. Hope the money was good. Still not governor. Absolutely appalling, Sarah. Appalling, kind of expected, right? Anyone who thinks that going to social media to tweet something like that is not going to come back to bite them. He tried to delete it quick, but the screen grabs were quicker. The Internet always has receipts. And the idea that your response to an election not going the way you want is to fat shame, insult, and generally act like a child is uh, is sad. And what's not sad is that, thankfully, UT Chattanooga fired him, and he gone, along with uh, many other people who showed their you-know-what by posting all over social media yesterday, only to find that their jobs no longer exist. Because if you are someone who acts that way in response to elections, uh, or, for instance, participates in a terrorist coup at the Capitol, uh, you're probably going to be without a job. And no one's going to feel sorry for you. Well, and let me be clear. This assistant coach, I just don't want to give his name any more love. Uh, The O-line coach has been fired. And kudos to UTC for immediately coming out doing Mm -hmm. it and issuing the statement that our football program has a clear set of standards. Those standards include respecting others. It's a message our players hear daily. There's more to the statement, but I think it's swift and important that UTC reacted uh, so so quickly right. in this instance. And Fitz, right, next, bravery too ahead. from some young players in that state that I saw posting it and saying, hey, nobody go here. We're not going here until they do this, uh, do, th- do something right. And they did. That's bravery well, by those kids that, too. That is a just... That right there is a statement to the change in college athletics that mm-hmm. I think is incredible that we've seen. When we look back on 2020 for college athletics, one of the stories that needs to be told more is the empowerment that players finally realize that they have when it comes to holding the people accountable that sit in their living rooms and say they're going to be responsible for helping mm-hmm. people become the best versions of themselves they can be. Speaking of college sports, the NCAA men's basketball tournament has told us what the health protocols will be. Uh, this is a little note. I don't know if everybody saw on Wednesday, they announced their health and safety protocols for the 2020 men's basketball tournament, which is going to take place entirely in Indianapolis. The most significant protocol is testing all tier one travel party participants. That's student athletes, coaches, trainers, physical therapists, everybody will have to show seven consecutive negative COVID-19 tests before arriving in Indianapolis. Then they will undergo daily PCR testing upon arrival and throughout the entirety of the tournament. So at least we're seeing what the health and safety precautions are going to be. Yeah, it's still wild to imagine this working out, but the only way I do see it working out is with incredibly strict protocols, with as limited as possible ins and outs and locations. We've talked, uh, and we haven't kept up as much because there's been so much NFL news and otherwise of late with, uh, you know, what what we've seen so far from the college football season. But, I mean, it's a lot of what we expected. Seasons, you know, being interrupted constantly by COVID. Uh, teams not being able to get scheduled games to happen. Um, teams pulling out, right? Entire programs just saying this is not a season that's gonna that's gonna work, so we're out. Um, so what it's gonna look like by the time we get to whatever that madness is um, is still up in the air. But having this plan well in advance and how committed they are to the seriousness of the protocols is a sign that they might find a way to make it work. 
Yeah, well, and uh, hopefully for the sake of NCAA men's basketball and women's basketball and the money that's been lost, I hope mm-hmm. they can find a way to do it. But most importantly, they got to do it safely. Uh, next yeah. up on Quickies, a little bit of injury news here that was a surprise to most of us. The Rams have activated left tackle Andre Whitworth from IR ahead of their wild card game against the Seahawks. He's expected to return to his starting role Saturday. He so- suffered a torn PCL and MCL against the Seahawks at home in week 10, and he's already expected back on the field. I was stunned by that one, Sarah. Well, we all fell in love with Andrew Whitworth on Hard Knocks, right? This is the the seasoned salt and pepper veteran that's been at it forever that we were so impressed by keeping his body in shape, keeping him, his, himself ready to play this many years in. So when he got injured and it felt like that might be the way things ended, we were really bummed. People who don't even care about the Rams uh, just thought, you know, not this guy, not this guy that we all just, you know, if, if we didn't already know about Andrew Whitworth because of his talent, the personality and, and everything else that came with learning about him in Hard Knocks made made this a real bummer. I'm amazed. I thought he was done for sure. And, and here we go. He's back. The toughness of NFL players just never ceases to amaze me. Lastly, if you were sitting around saying, why the heck do I want to watch the Pelicans take on the Hornets on a Friday night game in the NBA? The answer is it's the first time in their lives that Lonzo and LaMelo will be going at each other in a regulation basketball game, not in the backyard. This one counts, and it's the first time. Oh, Sarah, I want fireworks. Thought we were talking about berries in the last segment. Either way, the balls are playing against <laughs> each other tonight, and I it had me thinking. Fitz, uh, my sister and I used to have very passive aggressive sibling rivalries. Like we'd fight over a remote by digging our fingernails into each other's hands while sitting next Ooh. to each other until one, you know, said uncle. I'm wondering if we've got good sibling stories. So at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, tell us if you've ever gone toe to toe with a sibling and and both uh, escaped with some bruises and bumps. Oh, my God. I can fill a full night of stories about that. Uh, that's tomorrow night, by the way, ESPN, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. You can check out Hornets and Pelicans. Coming up, is there a reason for hope in Nickland? We'll discuss it next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, also on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can catch all the pre- and post-show stuff that's digital only when we do that. And, of course, any shows that you missed. Joining us now to talk a little bit about this young NBA season, Kenyon Martin played 15 seasons in the NBA, is now hosting Neat and Unfiltered podcast on BasketballNews.com. Kenyon, thanks for coming on. No problem, no problem. Thanks for having me. So it's just been a couple weeks so far. It's early, so it's hard to tell what's sustainable. But what do you think about this start from the Sixers? Does this feel like a new look for Philadelphia? Uh, I don't know. I don't know yet. Um, They've started decent before, and injuries and things played a part. And can you rely on Joel Embiid night in, night out? Um, That's to be seen. Um, But early in the season, he's been playing phenomenal. Um, so let's see. Uh, I think he missed a game because of back issues. So let's see. Um, they got new coach in a situation like that. And, and with Doc, new system and all that, it seems to be working right now. So they're riding high right now. Um, it's still early, but um, they are right now in the thick of things. So let's see how it goes. Kenny, we were talking earlier in the show about how some teams obviously got a lot of rest, some teams got a little rest. How does that impact the early part of the season in your eyes? Um, man, we are, they're all professionals. Um, of course, the Lakers would have loved to have more days off, but 
if they had more days off, they wouldn't be the champs. So I'm pretty sure they'll take that 70 days rest um, and the championship and getting ready to um, start it back up. Um, I think they are um, the favorite. They just got done playing and they added a few good pieces. So to get those guys acclimated to what those um, what the Lakers trying to do, I'm pretty sure they would take that 70 days rather than a longer break. Um, but other teams that had the long break, they're itching to get back out there. And um, the season so far has been good. Yeah, we talked about it earlier, Kenyon. The teams that were in the bubble have started out on average with a lower winning percentage at the start of the season than last year, and the teams that were out have started out performing better. So it might be an issue of fatigue, which makes it hard to look at some of these early games and tell what's sustainable and what's likely to even out. One of those examples for me is the Raptors. They have not started well. Pascal Siakam, a guy who we were th- th- thought we were rounding into one of the great stars of the game, didn't look good in the bubble, doesn't look good now, and now says he's having trouble finding joy in the game. What are you seeing when you watch Toronto? Uh, I don't know, but I'm, I don't listen to things like that. Those are excuses. Hmm. Um, you're not finding joy in the game and all that. I, you're getting paid a king's ransom for going to play a kid's game. So I don't, I'm not... I'm not buying that. You need to find some joy because you're out there. This is not, uh, it's not a hobby. It's your job. So I, I don't buy that one bit. Um, yeah, maybe the rest of the East is caught up with those guys. You know, they had a long run and Cal has been there for a while now. And maybe they're, they're just not coming off the championship lag. Um, you don't know, you know, but, but um, there's situations, things happen, but the whole Pascal thing, um, I don't, I don't buy into it. I don't listen to it because uh, it, it makes no sense to me. Coming from a guy that played 15 years, um, I've never heard, I've never told anyone, I've never had the feeling that that I'm not getting the, pa- I'm not, my passion is being quite, um, in question by my own self, or my love for the game is ever in question. Um, that that doesn't that doesn't register with me. So it's hogwash. In a clean <laughs> We're talking to Kenyon Martin, host of the Neat and Unfiltered podcast on basketballnews.com. So it's early in the season, Kenyon, and we're trying to make sense of the teams that are good or the teams that are bad and trying to figure out what you see. So when you look at the Brooklyn Nets, given the amount of time off that Durant's had and rehabbing and coming back, how long does it take for a team like that to really gel together in your mind? I think you can give them another month. Another month for them to find find their rotations, um, learn more about the new head coach, learn more more about Steve and and Steve to learn those guys. Um, I think I, it'll be two months into the season where you really they really start to hit their stride. Um, seen a few games earlier. Katie missed a couple easy game winners. Um, Kyrie missed one. They both missed one one game. Um, they, um, they're not gonna miss those shots. As the season goes on, as they get their legs up on them some more, um, Spencer didn't really being out. I think it's gonna hurt them a little bit, um, but that gives other guys who play well in the bubble just more opportunities to build on what they did last year. You know, Sweet. so um, I like the way the Brooklyn have looked so far. Um, I like that the, the, the fact that it seems like DeAndre Jordan is energized again. Um, it, so um, yeah, so I'm. Um, I'm excited to see where those guys are headed. 
It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio talking to Kenyon Martin, 15-year NBA vet, now host of the Neat and Unfiltered podcast on basketballnews.com. Kenyon, we started the show with a surprising ode to hope in New York because of the Mets trade, but also because the Knicks have a a positive above 500 start. They look good under Coach Tom Thibodeau. Uh, What are you seeing out in New York, and is this the start of potentially some actual success for that squad? We'll see. Um, we'll we'll see. You no, know, you you have to take the Knicks' success with a grain of salt. Um, but with Tibbs being there and his his pedigree and what he what he's built on with defense and playing the game the right way, um, I just thought they just bought Todd Gibson back. Um, Todd played under him in Chicago, so you know we can rely on him. Um, yeah, so I. Um, there's a bell to a decent start. Julius Randle is playing well. Um, so, both we'll see. Well, we will see. <laughs> Hope they can keep it going because New York fans deserve better. Um, but, like I said, you have to tell you the new New York success with a grain of salt. Absolutely. I'm actually having trouble with, with in just in general, every team right now because of the short turnaround and because of the getting adjusted to the new look. Uh, we We will have to wait a bit to see if any of these trends uh, actually play out over the whole season. Kenyon, thanks so much for giving us some time. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Stay safe on Thanks, You can hear Kenyon Martin on the basketballnews.com podcast, Neat and Unfiltered. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Coming up, what would you give up for Deshaun Watson and what's the worst sibling rivalry you've had in your household? Your responses are coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. And we knew that you guys, our listeners and my Twitter followers, have got some issues. But you're really, uh, you're really coming through when we need you on these questions we've asked you throughout the show. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get it on the ESPN app, Apple, iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, we had a couple questions that we asked y'all earlier in the show. Um, let's let's go through some of the responses that we have here. The first thing we actually asked you about uh, was a poll, and it was about the the stadiums that are not going to be full this weekend. Now, some of the NFL wildcard games will have fans. In the Steelers' case, it's friends and family. In the Bills' case, I think it's somewhere around 5,000. But none of them are going to be a stadium full of lunatic fans cheering their team. So we asked who would be more affected by not having that, the Colts-Bills game or the Browns-Steelers? And you were right. People went 54% with the Bills, in part because it's you know one of their first early years back in the postseason. They've got a big head of steam coming in. They've got a really good chance of being great, and they will not have the table jumpers and the Bills mafia. Although I, I think 46% said Browns-Steelers because that rivalry, too, would offer up a whole lot of terrible towels. Yeah, and there's no doubt about that. I still think like the actual in-stadium chaos that comes from a fan base that hasn't seen the playoffs in what feels mm-hmm. like forever and has this moment, you know, or, or hasn't seen a team this good, I should say, in forever for the Bills. Like I think that that sort of provides a little extra oomph for them. So I still this feels like such a special moment for the Bills. That's why I go to it. But uh, I will say, having gone to games uh, in, in Pittsburgh, that crowd is wow. I mean, they are. <laughs> ooh. I went to a game there and my Bears won, so they were pretty quiet. Uh, I felt pretty good about shutting them down. 
Uh, we also so asked that's you. Funny. That's only funny to me, Sarah, because I went back when the Raiders were good. I went to the yeah. game uh, there where Rich Gannon just carved up that defense. And I'll never forget somebody at the urinal was taking a very long time. He was having a little bit of anxiety with all the people that were crammed in there. And he was wearing a Raiders jersey. Took too long, and they just beat the snot out of him and threw him in the concourse. Like, I've never seen anything like Ooh. it. And the guy sitting next to me was super nice, but he said, hey, you should take off all your Raiders gear when you leave the stadium. So I did. I just walked out without a shirt on, and I watched them not be friendly to a lot of people on the way out the door. So, you know, they got their butts kicked, but they weren't happy about it when I was there. So, you know, different experience. Yeah, I mean, it is certainly one of the benefits of being a woman at a football game is that you are not likely to be beaten up. It's still possible. We've certainly seen it happen, I think, predominantly at Cleveland games. Uh, there's, there's still some of it. But for the most part, I've never been at a stadium wearing my Bears gear and worried that I was going to get beat up. And also shorter lines for the bathroom. Uh, one of the only places in the world where it's faster to go to the bathroom as a woman is an NFL stadium. Uh, so we asked you about that. We also asked you about Deshaun Watson. And because of the reports that he's displeased with the way the Texans have handled the hiring of their new GM, uh, there's some trade talk. Now, it hasn't gone anywhere yet, but especially those of us with teams that desperately need a quarterback and maybe want to right the draft wrongs of years past, we're getting pretty hyped. And so we asked you, not what would your team have to give up, but what would you personally give up for Deshaun Watson? Here's a couple of the answers. Um at Kung Jitsu, said, I wouldn't give up anything. I like Deshaun Watson, and I wish him the best. Why would I want him to be associated with the Jacksonville Jaguars? <laughs> Which is so <laughs> sad to be so aware of your team that you just don't even want him for his own good. Uh, at Yon Surratt said, two to three toes, depending on which toes we're talking. Which is smart, because you need a big toe. Uh, you just, do you, you, do need you like, I, I need some Cornell education here. How important is my big toe for me? You'd be surprised. Uh, the big toe is Huge, but you'd also be surprised about how important the pinky toe is. You're much better given off that fourth toe. Uh, your pinky is crucial for balance. Uh, so think of it like a triangle, the big toe, the pinky, and the heel. Uh, you're not giving up those. Somewhere in the middle okay, is going to be so, better for you. You know what? I'll keep the big, I'll keep the pinky. They can have the rest on both feet. That's fine. Ooh, I'm good with that. Tough. Are you one of those people that has the second toe that's longer than your thumb toe or shorter? Uh, no, it's a little shorter than my, my thumb toe. Oh, okay. I have I have one of those, like, gross, super long second toes. Tot. <laughs> uh, at the Ryan underscore Doyle <laughs> said he'd give up his contacts or eyeglasses, which I'm sorry, Ryan, but that's dumb because then you won't be able to watch him play for your team. Like, you gotta, you got you got to be smart about this. Well, now uh, we've actually defined what hell would be for me. Like, right, the Raiders exactly. are really good, and I'm right there, and I just you can't, can't see any of it. Perfect. Uh, also unwise at underscore streetwise Herc, uh, I'd give up sex for Watson to be a stealer. I just, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's worth, I like football a lot, guys, but <laughs> take it too far. Um, I mean, how many years in this career, though? Like, you got to think, y'all, uh, you're just throwing this out flippantly. He's 24. I'm talking about, like, probably <laughs> he 15 plays 40, years. All of a sudden, yeah, things aren't great. All of a sudden, you're, uh, you're, you're thinking about a coup of the Capitol and you don't have sex for that long. At Raj <laughs> Bennett said he'd give up his hair. Okay. All right. You got a nice head of hair, too. Roger Bennett, you know him from, uh, from uh, why am I blanking on the name? You know, the soccer podcast, the great soccer podcast. Uh, I, I just figured that was Michael Jr.'s burner account. No. I didn't really think that. that you know. <laughs> no, he doesn't have any hair to give up. Men in Blazers is my, is my brain not working right now. Uh, at Jeff Norman 90, I'd get a St. Louis Cardinals tattoo on one butt cheek and a Packers on the other. Uh, whew, that is a lot. That is a lot. But thankfully, no one would see them unless you were mooning the opponents after the Bears' Super Bowl win. 
uh, at Jack Five Rizzo. Cheese, alcohol, ice cream, cookies, bacon, and anchovies. One of those things is not like the other, Jack. <laughs> you got anchovies up there with all the greatest things in life. It's <laughs> wild. I mean, I- I'm also I'm still stuck on the uh, I'm still stuck on the tattoo concept. Like I'd have to say, like I'd be pretty comfortable tattooing my Lamelo and my Lonzo. That's all I'm saying. Wow. Okay. My friend accidentally got really <laughs> hammered on an island once, and the night before he was supposed to leave, some mischievous locals convinced him that if he was part of their crew now because they liked him so much, then he had to get this tattoo that they all had, and he got a tiny gecko tattooed on his butt cheek. And then had to fly 13 hours the next day. Raging oh hangover, God. recently tattooed butt cheek. And oh now God, he has a lizard on awful. his butt. Yeah. Spain and Fitz, there's Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, we also asked you about sibling rivalries. As Fitz just mentioned when he talked about his Lamello and his Lonzo, or was it Le- your Leangelo? There's, unfortunately, there's a third in there somewhere, which I'm very concerned about. It might need to be medically removed. But either way, those <laughs> brothers are facing off for the first time in is a regulation. <laughs> there is. Hey, you Doc, gotta I got to get my Lonzo. You got to get rid of your Leangelo. I'm sorry. There's no place. Not a first, not a lottery pick. Uh, you got to get rid of it. Um, they're facing off tomorrow when the Pelicans and Hornets meet. So we asked you about sibling rivalry moments that you might have had. I don't anticipate that they will be... Um, you know, stabbing each other with pencils or anything. But some of you have. Uh, at Joey Kieran, I once stabbed my brother in the leg with one of those short golf pencils as at church. As far as I know, he still has a dot from the lead. I also kicked him once and he puked on the carpet. Oh, and we hogtied him with duct tape too. Little brothers are great. Love you, bro. Look, I, I, up. I feel all of that. Like, you know, I used to when I was really little, I used to hit my brother back when Tonka trucks were made of that metal. I used to hit my brother with the Tonka truck and then I would run into the next room and I'd cry to my mom and say he hit me. And so then he would get spanked and put in his room. And, you know, my brother's like four and a half, five years older than I am. Oh, man, the fury when he would come out of that. Like, he's also the same older brother that knocked my baby teeth out when I was oh, asleep as a little kid. Just asleep? Yeah, I was asleep on the couch, so he knocked my front teeth out. They were baby teeth. He just for figured fun? It was time for them to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I think it was payback. I was an awful, I mean, I was an awful little kid. Like, I learned to run my mouth from, like, birth, yeah, basically. Yeah, that checks so out. So I had it yeah, coming. That checks out. Uh, speaking of that, at J.P. Whiteford said, when we were 10 and 8, I took my brother's remote-controlled car after he kept driving it off the table because I'd worried he'd break it and get in trouble. He got mad and slammed my head on the floor and broke my two front teeth I guess I failed because he still got in trouble. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Probably more so than he would have if he broke the car. Uh, at Rachel with an A, my sister put the hair straightener to my ear. Ouch. That is very hot. Oh, man. Very hot. Uh, at Perfect J. Billis, one of my older brothers slammed my head against a toilet. Another time I pulled a kitchen knife on both of my brothers after getting fed up with their harassment. Uh, Stash, you said your sister used to pull a knife on you. We can't hear no, Stash. I forgot. Oh, there she, we go. She didn't. No, she didn't pull a knife, but I, there would be points where I would irritate her just enough that she would reach into the drawers and pull out the knives and start flinging. Oh, she would throw a knife. That is much worse than just pulling a knife. <laughs> are we talking I mean, bread knife? Are they, like, are they serrated or is it a butter knife? We're talking butter knives. Anything she'd get her hands on. Wow. And I did hope she make so, contact? Yeah, I mean, did, did she hit you? <laughs> Uh, let's just say she had bad aim, thankfully. Oof, good, good, good. 
Uh, let's also just presume that Stosh and his sister aren't going to one of those trendy axe-throwing places anytime <laughs> when the world's It doesn't seem safe. I'm not going with my sister because my sister hit me in the head with a golf club in the temple, had to get stitches. We were racing to fix a pitchfork once, and I tripped and stepped directly on the spike of the pitchfork. And then we went golfing years later. Ha, ha, ha. Remember that time you hit me in the head with a golf club? And she sliced at a direct <laughs> L and hit me in the finger sitting on the cart. Like, like I cannot be near my sister with any projectiles or club-like I'd, instruments. So we're not going I'd axe say, throwing. I'd say real quick, eventually she figured that she couldn't hit me with a knife, so she uh, upgraded to shoes. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I wore, I wore who throws 15, a shoe? So it was a little Whoa. easier to hit me. Jeez, that's a boat. She's throwing boats yeah. at you. Fifteen. And those, and those hurt, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh. I don't think that the Ball Brothers will be throwing any shoes uh, or knives tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, nice nice work, honestly. Um, but, uh, but I do think it's going to be a fun one. And I have to say, Fitz, I am so grateful and thankful that their stupid, uh, stupid father, <laughs> has, uh, allegedly stupid father, has stopped inserting himself into their basketball careers. Uh, congrats on him and his wife for raising two lottery picks, but I am so glad to not be hearing from him anymore. Yeah, well, and I think it's key. Like, if those if they're ever going to have the opportunity to grow as NBA brands and as NBA players, he's got to be out of the picture. I mean, we we've learned that, so it's been one of the really nice things that we don't have to hear from him anymore, and that the the boys could just stand up for the way they play on the court, good or bad. And surprising, too, actually. Like, if you had told me that he would have listened after all the drama that he caused with the Lakers talking about their front office decisions and whether, you know, Lonzo was playing enough and all that, if you told me that he eventually would have stepped down and that LaMelo would have figured out how to really separate himself and not have him speak for him, uh, I would have been surprised. So um, something to be thankful for in 2021, not having to hear from him, and the fact that I stopped myself from swearing on the air, uh, which was close. It was real. It was real close. Uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up next. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Uh, No more knives for Stasha's sisters ever. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.